I'm Bryce Futch. And I'm Tony Melton. And this is The Way Forward. Welcome to episode six, part two of our conversation on Chinese economic relations in intellectual property rights. Uh, that is a, a mouthful. We hope that you enjoyed our first conversation with Adam McLeod and uh, Michael Hendricks from Manhattan Institute. They're two wonderful people uh, that I'm happy to count as friends. And we are excited to kind of follow up on a few of the things that they talked about um, and expand on a few of those ideas. One of the things that uh, we wanted to do with these conversations is have the time. To, to sit and talk through uh, and discuss because we think that's where the nuance is. That's where the discovery is. Uh, plus, if we do this in a part two without them here, we can say whatever we want about whatever they said uh, and not give them an opportunity to respond to it. Uh, so the, we're not going to hold uh, anybody uh, up by their toes. I don't know why I just use that expression. That's a really dumb expression. I'm going to re-say that. <laughs> <laughs> We are not going to hang anybody out to dry with this uh, part two, but we are going to follow up, like I said, on some things that we may or may not have agreed with or disagreed with, et cetera. So first thing that I, I think we, we wanted to talk about was um, Adam's comments on the secularization of society and how that changes the mentality. Um, Tony, why don't you start and, and kind of walk through that? Sure. I think that my, my primary frustration with uh, political conversations in general is that they often rem- they ignore the roots of the issues. You know, I, I think about China and their, their blatant and, and uh, unrepentant stealing of intellectual property and, right. and our own indignation. And, oh, that's not fair. They're, they're stealing. Um, but we don't acknowledge that they're, they're coming from a completely different worldview Mm-hmm. Uh, than than what America has historically held, right? Um, what I also find frustrating is that there's not an acknowledgement that we are slipping into the philosophy and worldview that China itself holds. Right? They are a, they are a, a secular country, materialistic. They are materialistic. They are atheistic. Yeah. Their ethics flow out of that. Right. Um, we are enjoying the um, residual effects of at one time being a Christian that was primarily or a, a country that was primarily made of Christians. Right. And thought like Christians and, yeah. and their conceptions of justice and fairness came from that those beliefs. Mm-hmm. But that is no longer the case. Right. And so um, it, it's, it's very much a case uh, or it very soon will be. A case of the pot calling the kettle black, right? And there's a, I think there's a an argument to be made that cultural Christianity is a is an is a good, right? Totally, because it's not the it's it's not the enemy of of orthodoxy. It is a it is a common vernacular that we all hold. Yes, right. So like when D.L. Moody went to Scotland and and he was given a presentation to these school children and he asked them, you know, what is prayer? And they all repeated back to him the catechism of, right. of what prayer is. Yeah. And he said, be thankful that you were raised in Scotland because you know this. But that doesn't mean that all of those school children were Christians, right? It, right. Just, it just means that they had this common mm. understanding of the way their culture said this is what prayer is. And so I think the same thing is true for us. We've lost that that common understanding of human rights, human dignity, the the 
like Adam said about the the ownership of where these ideas come from, yeah. right? And they come from creation. They come from from God, and they they right. are an outplay of that, right? And, and and to that point, I mean, I'm glad that Adam Adam had a great um, exposition of the doctrine of creation, how that how that establishes human rights, and you know, he we we do have that common vernacular still. Sure, um, I think that we are losing it quickly mm-hmm. because. And I, and in as much as these conversations don't pivot, at least at some point, to a religious conversation, mm-hmm. and we understand very clearly as a people that oh, uh, the stealing of intellectual property is not just a uh, an inconvenience to us economically, right? Or or it's not just that they uh, are being uh, bad boys and girls. Mm-hmm. They don't believe that this is wrong, right? We're coming from different starting places, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and if we continue to ignore that factor, then we eventually will lose our starting place. Right. We will no longer think that that is wrong. Right. Uh, because if you just continue to get beat um, by someone mm-hmm. who steals your cookies um, without acknowledging continually that stealing cookies is wrong for a reason. Sure. Then you're just gonna you're just gonna steal their cookies too, <laughs> right? Well, it's an in, it, it's in justifies the means, and we see that in current politics. And I, I go back to this all the time. But Trey Gowdy from South Carolina, in his exit interview, <laughs> just I laugh because of how often I reference this. Like that was his his primary complaint was that we we do whatever we can to get whatever we can get. And the process doesn't matter. And that's what China does when they steal things, when they steal intellectual property, when they steal technology. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a it's a real problem. If I now I Adam did it, like I said, he did an amazing job um, and I, I thoroughly listened to him. I, I don't know that I understood him exactly the way he, he was intending. Um, but one of the things that I I had a slight disagreement of is, you know, can we. As, and I asked him the question in the in the in the conversation, like how how do we um, how do we justify that this is not right? Mm-hmm. And, and there was this. I I, I kind of understood him to say that well, we can appeal to a uh, um, a common understanding that this yeah. is this is for our own benefit as sure. humans, without necessarily appealing to a religious uh, worldview, right? And you know, I, this is a big debate, and people have it. I, I do not believe that you can establish uh, uh, ethics on anything mm-hmm. but a religious foundation. Right. Um, if you start with an agnostic or a um, uh, a secular worldview, right, um, you you will eventually come to a point where y- you you have to just have an axiomatic mm-hmm. ethic. Right. We, we believe that stealing is wrong because we believe that it's wrong. Right. Um, whereas religious religious ethics don't don't have that right. circular argument. Yeah. Tom Holland, who's a uh, atheistic, atheistic uh, anthropologist, talks about that, that Christianity is what gave the world human rights, specifically right. women's rights. Right. Uh, which everybody, if you ask anybody today that's not a Christian, they would say that's absolutely ridiculous. But it's, it's not. Like women used to be second-class citizens, sure. no equal standing. And Christianity brought that because of the dignity of being made in the image of God, right? And then uh, Rabbi Zacharias 
you know, obviously there's a whole lot of baggage there now, but he, he talked a lot about the fact that the way we know something is right or wrong is because if there is a, if there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong, then there has to be a moral law giver, right? If there is a, and then that takes us to the Judeo-Christian worldview and specifically and, and helping us sort through all of that. Yeah. So when I, when I mentioned my frustrations with, with political conversations in general, it's that I, I, I find that they don't, they don't go to that basis that religious worldview which is necessary for the for to to validate our indignation right like i I agree that we should that we should be indignant that people Mm -hmm. are stealing our intellectual property yeah Uh, but but that's that's my one frustration with a lot of these conversations as well a we don't recognize that they have a different worldview than us right and then b we don't understand the very roots of our own worldview Mm -hmm. and so we're at risk of losing it right uh and therefore losing our indignation Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think would be really bad. I agree. So, yeah. Cool. Now, you had some points you wanted to transition us to about the the gifts from China. Oh, yeah. I, I learned so much in the in the last podcast. This is not my area of expertise at all. Uh, so I didn't know about the ports in Sri Lanka. The, the things that I, I'm looking forward to having you rehash a little bit again. But the word, the phrase that came to mind was beware of the Greeks bearing gifts. Yes. And uh, one of the themes that that was kind of percolating in my head was the Christian theme of shrewdness mm-hmm. um, and just how um, the scriptures over and over again, bid us to be shrewd, to not be right. simple or naive or in the Genesis one through three sense naked, right. um, that we are to be um, aware of danger, mm-hmm. aware of enemies and to interpret their overtures and their gifts and sure. their um, the, just the way that they, present themselves yeah. with a correct and wise suspicion. And so, yeah, just the, all that China is a very, they are themselves very shrewd. Mm-hmm. They, they are strategic. Yeah. Just the idea that we would be educated and aware and wise and shrewd back. Right. A, I wanted to, I wanted to, I, I appreciated having a better idea of how they're being shrewd. Mm-hmm. I also would love for our listeners to hear us talk about how it is good and godly to be shrewd back. Right. John Hutzman, uh, former ambassador to China, former presidential candidate, talked about how China is one of the best long-term strategic mm-hmm. thinkers in the world because of their culture and their background. And the United States is one of the best short-term thinkers in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think part of that is the way we do our government, right? The fact that there is so much overturn uh, between every two years, every four years. Um, we have a lot of change in the in our government who's making these decisions. And so we have these two societies that, that see the world very differently, right? China is thinking 20 years, 100 years down the road. Michael Pillsbury's 100-year marathon talks about that. And the United States is thinking next election cycle. And we have to do a better job of thinking long term. And so two of the things that China does uh, that are really bad gifts are Confucius Institute's and their Belt and Road initiatives with foreign investment. So Confucius Institutes are Chinese-funded research institutes that are partnered at some of the the best colleges in the the United States. Uh, Harvard recently came under fire for accepting over a billion dollars from the Chinese government to fund their Confucius Institute. And billion with a B? Billion with a B. And the problem with these is that they were created to to create this intellectual exchange between Chinese scholars and U.S. scholars. But the people that are sending us aren't just scholars. They are, there have been many, not all, there have been many that have been verified members of the military, of the, of the Chinese military, and of the Chinese uh, 
security apparatus. And they're stealing technology. They're stealing from businesses that they're partnering with and doing research for. They're stealing from the institutes that they work with. They're stealing research from their American colleagues. Uh, and China is using these institutes as a way to bring back this intellectual property uh, without having to go through any of the, of the funding for it. Uh, obviously, they're funding the institute itself. But if you look at what they're getting out of it, the, the return is, is just incredible. So the fact that these have not been shut down yet, to me, is a bit of a mystery. I think people, specifically intellectuals, want to see these things as goods. They want to see them as a, as a good exchange of ideas. Uh, but they're not. And talk about the shrewdness part, there's only so many times, you know, George Bush said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on Shame on that again. Whoever, yeah, right. <laughs> that, that was the essence. Yeah, and, and so like, it's a it, it's a it's a real problem. We continue to be taken advantage of right. in these ways. Uh, the other is the Belt and Road Initiative, and China is doing incredible work in providing aid to countries that are developing. So they built this port in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka could no longer pay for the port, and then they said, "Okay, well, it's ours now." And there's nothing currently happening with it. Nobody's moving ships uh, through it. But China now holds this foothold in Sri Lanka as their own property. Uh, they're building rail infrastructure throughout Africa. They're building roads, uh, all this different physical plant stuff. And the, the reason why it works for China is because of the, the, the government they have, right? The fact that they are an authoritarian communist regime. And the Communist Party is all about loyalty to the state. Whereas in the United, in the U.S. Uh, in our worldview, it's 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 not about the state; it's about us. It's individuals, right? We we work for our good, not for the state's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we call it public service when somebody does decide that they want to work for the state, uh, because we recognize that they are taking away from what they could be gaining and creating and doing, and they're serving the common good. China is the other way around. It's it's one hundred percent loyalty to the state mm-hmm. is their currency, right? China's. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, their intelligence apparatus throughout the nation basically creates accounts for individuals. They track these individuals and they rate them based off how well they interact with each other and with the state. And the more loyal they are, the more freedom they have to move and to go around and get new business opportunities and get accepted to schools and study abroad and all of that. It's literally a currency. It is literally a currency. (laughs) Right. There is value. There is, there is, there is serious value in loyalty in China. And so you have these, you have China who sends people, engineers, architects, administrators to these other countries to create this infrastructure and then run it for that country. And when they do that, they're thinking 10, 15, 20, 50 years down the road where it could be increasing their GDP or it could be used for military ventures if they see fit and if the the landscape changes. Uh, And that's Pillsbury's big argument in the 100-year marathon is that China is constantly watching Hmm. for a change. As soon as they see that change, they're going to start to take advantage of it. Uh, And that change is is less uh, set in stone and it's more... Uh, cultural, it's it's more based off intuition. And so as soon as they notice what they feel is that shift, that's when you'll see them start to become much more aggressive, uh, which could part, be part of the reason why they moved on Hong Kong like they did. Uh, so China is doing this great job of investing overseas by building these physical structures that the, these developing countries can't afford to build. While the United States, like we talked about with, with Michael, 
is saying, hey, here's you know, here's $100 million, but you have to do X, Y, and Z with it. It can't be used for these things. You have to have these types of people involved in it. Uh, or they're sending them free food, free clothes, free aid, which destroys local economies. Uh, the Acton Institute has a great series on this called The Poverty Cure. Um, it, well, I, I think Poverty Cure is the name of the documentary they made about it. And then the uh, they have a, a series that goes along with it. Um, I can't remember the name of that. But anyway, they're very they're related. It, it's definitely worth your time to check yeah. out. But the way the United States does aid and the way China does aid is, is just absolutely different. Yeah, so we – we must be a shrewd country, yes. In, in especially in this international um, relations situation we are right. in, and um, you know, shrewdness. Well, first, it's it, it's something that the scriptures talk about, right? It, it, especially within the 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 Jewish culture, that mm-hmm. shrewdness was a huge value. We have right. a Judeo Christian ethic, yep. here, and we were founded on these principles. I mean, the, sure. the scriptures themselves. Jesus says, "Behold, I send you out as sheep." In the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Mm-hmm. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The naive believe everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. So, I mean, we we are called to be shrewd. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, uh, shrewdness is something we are, have have really lost. Um, you know, shrewdness assigns the proper value to uh, opportunities. Mm-hmm. It apply it applies the it assigns the proper value to risks. Right. And it assigns proper motives to major players. Right. And uh we're we're terrible at all of these. We are. And right. it comes from a, a we don't want to offend anybody, right? right. We don't we don't want to or hurt anybody. Yeah. It, it's 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 a naivety. I mean, we just uh, a couple days ago we just shut down Mozambique. Right. There are two Omicron cases in Mozambique. Yep. There are zero deaths. Mm-hmm. One of them is asymptomatic. Right. There are hundred. There are thousands, tens of thousands of businessmen. Yeah. And, and businesswomen that that will that will suffer greatly from this. Sure. Naive. What it would be the uh, the opposite of shrewdness. Just yeah. Simplistic. Sure. Response. We are assigning improper value to risk. Mm-hmm. We are assigning improper value to opportunity. Right. Uh, or goods. Sure. And we don't know. Who the players are. This is especially the case with China. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we see, oh, there's a port in Sri Lanka. Yeah, that's so nice that's of us. Yeah, what a great oh, group of people. Or even, you know, I would, I would love. There's hardly anything more that I would love to than to sit down across the table from a scholar from another country mm-hmm. who believes a different thing, who comes from a different world and experience, right. like the, the Confucius Institute. That sounds like a great thing. Sure, that is a good. Mm-hmm. But there are risks. Right. And we have lost our ability to assign those. I mean, you know, yeah. what was it, Cuomo? If we save one person. Right. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Sure. No. That's, a, that's, a, that's not being shrewd. Right. That's not dealing with problems according to their reality. Um, but, but we have to understand that China does have bad intentions. Yeah. And I think the it's gifts are not safe. They're not, and it's not even that we're playing the same game with different rules. We're playing different games, mm-hmm. right? Right. And we're we, like Greeks and we exactly, yeah. exactly. One of the things that that you brought up earlier when we were talking about how we were going to go down this road with this that I thought was really it, it was is really good is that the idea that this our view of China is often oversimplistic because we see ourselves so different. 
right? Mm. We, we say China's over here, we're over here, different foundings, different worldviews, different religions. There's nothing similar. But the, the communist idea that, that China was founded on has been a consistent part of the American experience for decades, mm. right. right? So I, my personal opinion is that Woodrow Wilson was the absolute worst president in U.S. history for a number of reasons, and a few of which we will lay out here. But the idea that we we are totally different from them and it can never happen to us is wrong. So Wilson had a an advisor. His name is they called him Colonel, uh, but his name is William Mandelhouse. He wrote a book called Philip Drew Administrator, and it was a playbook for the Wilson administration. So if we could do, if the Wilson administration could do everything they wanted to do, that's what it would look like. And they they considered it a, a utopia. I would consider it an authoritarian dystopia. But the the amount of government overreach was massive, and it was a total transformation of our society, of the way we function, intellectuals would have run, everything. It was really bad. And so Wilson played this out in several different ways in, in policies in his in his presidency. So the first was he signed the income tax uh, congressional amendment into law, and then it was ratified. Um, in 1913, he created the direct election of senators. So we're not a democracy. We are a democratic republic. And so the way that works is we elect our electors, right? That's what that means. And so for the way the Senate was created was it was supposed to be a buffer to the will of the people. The House was there to be your direct representation, to be your voice. But the Senate was there to slow everything down, which is why it's a very methodical. That's why the way they do things is very important. Um, and so he the the Senate was originally elected by your state representatives because they were there to represent the state, right? That's why there's equal number of senators for every state. Everybody gets two. And so they were there to, to represent the good of your state. And if the House passed a law that was good for the people but not good for the state, then they would they would they would be against it. Right. right. So it, it totally got rid of the partisan divide that is DC right now. Now, your local state parties would be controlled by a certain party, and so that your senator would reflect those values, but they would be voting on what was best for your state. Mm-hmm. Wilson wanted to get rid of that buffer, and he they created another congressional amendment or constitutional amendment that was for the direct election of senator, so they would be popularly elected just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it from an accountability standpoint, you know who your state rep is, at least you should. You you go to church with them, you see them at school, you you meet them at the grocery store, like you can go to them and say, Hey, what are you doing supporting this guy as a senator? He's doing a terrible job. You can have that that face-to-face accountability. When was the last time you met your U.S. senator? When was the last time you had any one-on-one time with them? Chances are you've never met them. You've never you, – at most you've shaken their hand and been at a rally that they spoke at. Uh, but you don't have that day-to-day contact. And that's part of the problem, right? So Wilson did that. Um, but then even into FDR with the, T, with the Tennessee Valley Authority, with those government pro- projects for building the Grand Coulee Dam, the, the Hoover Dam, like those were great. And they, they were major infrastructural accomplishments. But the guys that ran that were avowed socialists. And they created socialist camps where basically everybody lived together, ate together. Their, their store was in, this, in that same town. And it worked fairly well because it was on such a small scale. That's the problem. Socialism kind of work well on a very small scale, which is why we look at countries in Europe and we see them doing a form of socialism and none of, it, none of them are practicing true socialism or communism. Uh, and we say, well, that'd be great. Let's bring it here where our population is 10 times what their population is. And it, it, it totally falls apart. But this has always been in the background of American politics. Yeah. And I think the theme here is that um, 
all of these all of these leaders that are trying to establish a quote utopia sure. through these 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 things which seem to have such benefit, you know, mm-hmm. oh, uh, uh, something that that guards us against economic collapse. Well, that sounds that sounds great. Yeah, the Federal Reserve, right. which, which is a horrible, which is a horrible <laughs> thing. Uh, but it, it always seems like a gift, right? And if we do not uh, really become very aware of motive. Uh, and and value and risk and all of this. We cease to be shrewd. So I was a headmaster of a classical school in Dallas for uh, mm-hmm. several years. And uh, one of the best things we did was um, our high schoolers, we took them through, I think it was four or five dystopian novels. It was Fahrenheit, nice. Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, gosh. What are the other ones? I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, some, some people look at... 1984. Yeah, and then some would say that... Uh, uh, we can edit all this mumble jumble out, but the one that we're they is the kids stranded on the island. Oh, uh, uh, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Yes, <laughs> Lord of the Flies. Yes, yeah, there's would, one other one. Some people would say Lord of the Flies fits that. Yeah, but, but they would. I think that breaks down because it actually happened later in history where a group of British boys were stranded on an island and none of that played out because they had such a stern monitor of conscience from the mm-hmm. way they were raised in the yeah. society in which they were brought about. Which is why I think it's so important that we continue to have the conversations about conscience. Right. Because that's the only thing that would prevent Lord of the Flies from taking shape right. on a societal level. But but I think that, that was really important because it taught the students mm-hmm. to have a view of gifts. Right. It made them shrewd. Mm-hmm. Oh, Soma was a bad thing. Right. For a brave new world. Sure. You know, um, that, that there is this, we're trying to pacify people through, mm-hmm. through apparent good intentions. Right. Through good conversations. Well, other ends. Oh, it was uh, the the third in the C.S. Lewis space trilogy. Oh, Idea yeah. strength. That was the other one. Yeah. The, 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 all of the China is is not going to lead by, uh, but with nasty things all the right. time. They're they're trying to accomplish their ends mm-hmm. with a spoonful of sugar. Right. And uh, and and so yeah, I just think that there needs to be a real focus mm-hmm. on developing a shrewd populace. Right. And a shrewd government. Um, because we have shrewd enemies. We do. We do. And China is one of those where they do such a good job of putting on, like, putting on a positive mm-hmm. continent with other people outside the United States, right? If you're in the U.S., I think China, it's very, it's, it can be very clear when they're being phony or whatever. So, for example, with, with the whole COVID thing, and us wanting to investigate the lab leak theory, and China saying, well, you know, it actually probably happened in the United States at Fort Detrick, and they were probably the ones who actually released it to the world, where there's no founding for that whatsoever. But you, you contrast that with the way they interact with these smaller countries and developing worlds, and it's a totally different persona, right? It's a, it's a totally different mindset in the way they talk and express themselves because they want people to come to them. Right. They don't want people to come to ask for help. They want to be the ones that are approached. And so it's, it's shrewdness almost carte blanche in the sense of it doesn't matter who we're talking to. They could be a friend. They could be an enemy. Mm-hmm. It's taking everything with a grain of salt and, and looking yeah, at the motive. And considering your steps, as Proverbs right. says. You know, one of the other th- – this relates back to the original uh, topic um, for the podcast, which was intellectual property. So one of the gifts that China gives America is cheap goods. Right. You know, I, uh, Christmas is coming up. Yep. Uh, man, it is so nice to uh, to be able to go to the store. Sure. And these 
incredible inventions. You know, these mm-hmm. huge TVs, uh, right. the, the, 250 bucks. Yeah. And, uh, we're, but, but, and while that doesn't always equal an oppressive situation, sure. Um, which I think is a, a good conversation to have. Yeah. It, it sometimes does. Right. And especially with China, mm-hmm. um, they, it's not just that they don't pay their workers well enough to survive. Right. They are actually enslaving people sure. to make goods so that we can afford Christmas presents. Right. Uh, well, it's not for that. Sure. It's and, really, and by function, we'll that. make it. Yeah. And it creates this, um, this positive impression. Mm-hmm. Oh, China blesses us with all. Right. No. Yeah. No, they are acting wickedly. Right. And we need to see that not only is this their motive, but we are participating in this. Sure. And we need to be shrewd to stop it. Right. Um, but uh, oh, it's so easy to be placated and to be tricked by gifts. It is. And we'll talk more about the right. slave labor piece in this next episode. But the, the cheapness, I think you're right to hit on it. Because one of the problems when we look at economic development, we we kind of have this idea in the back of our mind that everybody makes the same amount of money as we do. And so when we hear that somebody is living off a dollar a day or $15 a day, we think, oh my gosh, how is that possible? I can't buy a Big Mac for less than $15. And it's it's just not true. Like it, it's it's primarily about inflation and the strength of the dollar within their local economy. But there are so that, all that being said, there are people who are taking advantage of that is a real thing. That is a serious problem uh, that needs to be looked at, needs to be addressed. But if you, I, I think a great example of of somebody who is outsourcing well is uh, Saddleback Leather, hmm. uh, based out of Texas. I own a lot of their products. They have not asked us to endorse. They are not privy to any of these comments that about to be made. So if they hate them. I'm really sorry, but I feel like it, it fits well in the conversation. So, uh, please don't blame anybody, but me for, for what I'm about to say, but they, so they design all their products in the U S uh, but they outsource and most of their products are made at, in factories in Mexico, but they're paying above what the minimum wage is in Mexico. Uh, they pay their workers well, they provide great opportunities for them to move up in their, in their, within their company, uh, to be, to gain more education, all of those kind of things. Uh, but they're still able, even with all of that, because of the strength of the dollar within Mexico, they're still able to produce their goods for less money than they could here. Uh, and they're at a higher quality. All of their products come with a 100 year warranty, which is phenomenal, uh, which is one of the reasons why I love them. And, but they're, they're outsourcing well. Right. And so, Using that as a model is important, but I think that comes back to what is your worldview and why are you outsourcing? Are you outsourcing just for cheap goods, cheap labor, or are you outsourcing because you want to help people move forward? You want to help people develop economically. Uh, are you looking at – communism looks at, at individuals as economic entities. It's how much labor can this person produce it has nothing to do with the dignity of them as a person, right? And so when we talk about prices and all that type of stuff – the reason they are using slave labor is because they look at them in solely economic terms. And I can exploit this person for the benefit of the state. And I will do that because this person opposes, in my view, opposes the state. And so therefore, they they have no worth. They have no currency like we just talked about within our economic system. So we're going to get everything out of them we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being aware that that's the presupposition that they have about people right, um, will make us smarter mm-hmm. about how we interact with them. Right. Um, the, 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 one of the things we talked about a little bit earlier was, uh, the, being aware of how, and you mentioned this, how they, uh, put themselves forward. Right. 
public image. It reminds me of uh, North Korea. Mm-hmm. In the, what, what year was that? I think it was 2008 in the Beijing Olympics. Yeah, 2008. It, yeah. I mean, North Korea was such a stench mm-hmm. to the to the international community. They were just yeah. they were acting in such a deplorable manner. Right. And yet they sent uh, it was Kim Jong Un's sister. Yeah, and it was it was such a weird thing to see all of the news outlets being like, oh. Isn't she great? Yeah, she's so stately. Oh yeah, just oh, and so stylish. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like no. Yeah, she, she. This is a this is a ploy. Mm-hmm. This is a Trojan horse. It is. Um, and so uh, uh, China does this too. They do, and uh, and they they co opt athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the who is was it LeBron? LeBron James, and then John Cena. If you consider, John Cena, right. and not to create a, a large debate, if you consider WWE performers athletes or not. Sure, uh, <laughs> I know a lot of our audience would probably disagree with me on that, but John Cena also <laughs> just came back groveling, right? Uh, because he he supposedly made this statement that offended the Chinese people. It all comes back to greed, right? Like these people want to make money, uh, and his candor who just recently became a U.S. citizen and he actually changed his last name in honor of the fact that he became a citizen to freedom. So his name is now N.S. Cantor Freedom. Uh, born in Switzerland, raised in Turkey. He has spoken out heavily about this and about the way that the NBA specifically is motivated by greed when it comes to China and the fact that that his sponsors of, of his team like Nike, etc. will make all of these political statements here in the U.S. but then they do nothing about the stuff that's going on in China, about the imprisonment of Muslims, about uh, any of those human rights abuses that they are consistently making. And it all comes back to the dollar. Everybody is motivated. The vast majority of people are motivated by money when it comes to their interactions with China. And we have to be willing to pay a cost. And we'll get into this more in the next episode uh, about what does it mean to cost me? What does it cost me? And how does that pertain to activism and, and all of that kind of stuff? But yeah, it's bad. Yeah, and to our listeners, if you if you found the discussion of the relationship between human rights and intellectual property interesting, which I certainly did, I thought Adam's uh, uh, exposition of of that was was interesting. We are going to address that a little bit more in the follow up uh, to the next episode, which really uh, we're going to delve into um, how human rights, whether that's religious freedom uh, or freedom over one's family. Or freedom over one's intellectual property rights right. relate to um, the philosophies of the two uh, countries um, in this conversation, namely America and China. So uh, we will talk more about that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us for part two of this discussion. Uh, we hope you found it beneficial. We'd love to get any more questions or anything like that that you have for us. If you go to our website, thewayforwardpodcast.com, there's a place on there where you can uh, submit questions, comments, concerns, cries of outrage uh, about the, the show and, and what we're doing here and, and all that kind of good stuff. So thank you so much for the time and we look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Bryce Futch. And I'm Tony Melton. And you've been listening to The Way Forward.